0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 15 this morning. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, and we will, Lord willing, close the chapter of Acts chapter 15 this morning uh, with a message entitled Christian Conflict. I figured when I came back, my first sermon should be kind of light, Should be kind of fun, so we went Christian conflict. How about that? Uh, It's a subject that I know is not necessarily the funnest, but it is absolutely crucial to the body of Christ that we understand how to navigate through conflict biblically. Uh, Conflict is not the problem in our relationships with one another. It's how we deal with conflict. And in fact, conflict can be a great thing. You know the verse, as iron sharpens iron, that friction that is is caused by that, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. There is growth. Uh, Conflict is an opportunity to grow. Yeah, let's go, baby. So with that said, stand with me. We're gonna read. We have a conflict that we're gonna talk about in the scriptures this morning. And it's gonna give us an opportunity to reflect on our own lives relating to maybe some conflict we have with our brothers and sisters and how we ought to deal with that. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, here is a subject that would be easy for us to tune out because it puts us in oftentimes uncomfortable situations, and yet, Lord, we don't flee from the uncomfortableness, but we look as it as an opportunity to grow in our faith. So, Lord, will you speak to us today relating to conflict that we might have within our? our own body within the body of Christ, other believers and such, and, and how we're to call to deal with these things, uh, that you would help us to be transparent with you this morning and that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do a work in our heart, Lord, to become the people that you're calling us to be. And so we want to humble ourselves before you, God. We ask you to speak to us as only you can. And we ask also that you prepare our hearts for communion, as we remember the price that was paid for our sins to be forgiven so that we could be truly reconciled to you. And help us, Lord. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So conflict is something that we have in every relationship. It's something that we deal with in life. It doesn't catch us off guard when it happens outside the church, but it does catch us often off guard when it happens within the four walls of the church. We're supposed to be unified people, amen? Amen. How can we be unified if there's conflict? You see, the issue isn't conflict itself, but it's how we remain unified in the midst of our disagreements with one another. I know that you think life would be just so much easier if everybody would think like you, but they don't. If that's a news flash, I'm sorry. But everybody doesn't think like you, and so we are going to arrive at different uh, disagreements and, and situations at times. It just happens. You know, recently, you, you, you see this happen within even the leadership of churches. You're familiar with Mark Driscoll, several years back, the pastor and founder of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, pastor Mark was accused of being heavy-handed in his leadership style and being aggressive and, and just, I guess, downright mean, sometimes in the office, and so his elders... Uh, you know, circled up, and they brought some accusations against Pastor Mark, and and so that was brought before the congregation, and uh, they brought in a third party to vet out all of these situations. What they found, what they they arrived at this conclusion that uh, although Pastor Mark was uh, not necessarily nice all the time, he didn't do anything to disqualify himself from being a pastor of. Uh, of Mars Hill Church, but he left the church anyway. Unreconciled to, I assume, unreconciled to his elders. Uh, more recently, James McDonald, pastor in the Chicago area. I think he's in Chicago, was in Chicago, he's in Florida now, but he, uh, there were some accusations brought up against him from some congregants relating to the way that he was handling uh, some finances within a couple different types of ministries that they had. They had a radio ministry and then they had the church. And so there was some issue with the way that he, uh, some people felt he was handling the situation. His elders circled up. Again, they looked and examined the accusations that were brought forth. And again, James McDonald was also considered not to be the nicest guy on staff. So. Uh, after these accusations, he left his church. I assume unreconciled to the elders and the congregants of his church. Why do I bring this up? Because I want you to look up Mark Driscoll or to James McDonald. No, I want you to understand that this stuff is happening presently. Like this happens all the time. There's conflict that arises in a situation. And, you know, how we navigate through that conflict is important. God cares about how we handle disagreements amongst each other and his requirement for us is that we would maintain unity in the body of Christ no matter the disagreement unless of course it's relating to eternity that's where we do, that's where we draw the line like when it comes to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, anything to do with something that will keep us out of heaven, that's when we say it's a no-go on that. I won't, I won't come in unity with somebody who, uh, you know, doesn't agree on those particular, those salvation issue type things. I'll give you an example. Uh, why are we not in fellowship with Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons? Because they don't believe Jesus is, uh, the, the, is God, number one. They believe that the Jehovah's Witnesses in particular believe he was a created being. That he is the brother of Lucifer and all these sorts of nonsense things that they just make up. Uh, you know, and so we don't have fellowship with them because we're not in agreement with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus really is and what he's done for us. So that's the dividing line. Everything else should not divide us. Everything else should not divide us, and yet it often does. Uh, I I could bring up a gazillion different conversations today and divide this entire room a gazillion different ways. I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to lay it out there that everything outside of that, if it's creating division between you and another believer, you need to make that right. You need to deal with that, because ultimately uh, when we get to heaven, we'll find out some things, We'll figure it out. You know, you're you're being right on this side of heaven may actually end up you being wrong on the other side of uh, this earth. You know what I'm saying? So it's so important that we maintain Christian unity. And in fact, uh, God cares so much about unity in the body of Christ that, you know, when he sent his son to to die for us and to reconcile us to himself, that uh, Jesus himself prayed that we would become one just like he and the Father are one, right? Like, he, he really meant that? Like, that wasn't just a suggestion? Like, I hope that they become one? No. If we let the Holy Spirit operate inside of our hearts the w- way that we ought to, then we will come together and we will overcome the obstacles of disagreement no matter what they might be. You know, and, and here's what I'm not saying is that you have to be best friends with everybody in the building, But what I am saying is you ought not be avoiding people in the body of Christ because of some schism that's happened between you and them and whatever the case might be. We are called to be a people of unity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Max Licato said it well when he said, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. (laughs) Yay! We don't have to fight each other over things that Aren't necessarily, um, you know, salvation issues. We don't have to fight each other. Combat is is optional, guys. You don't have to engage uh, in. I, I uh, one of our elders, Randy, he, he Randy Lamaster, he says, I, I hope I get this right. It just came to mind. He, he says, you know, um, we're we we do not have to contribute to every argument that we're invited to. Do you know that? You don't have to engage in every argument you're invited to. You might be invited, but you don't have to keep it going. Hey, somebody needs to be uh, somebody needs to be a peacemaker in the conversation. Again, we don't make peace at all costs, but at much cost, and in fact, sometimes we have to lay our opinions down because I think opinions are uh, you know probably the most dividing thing that we talk about, what we think about something, not even necessarily what the word of God has to say about it, how we do a certain thing, not necessarily what the word of God says about these kind of things. We just, we just like to air our opinions. That was my opinion, by the way. Uh, so, you know, and I'm right. And if you want to, no, I'm just kidding. But, but we don't have to fight about everything, man. We, we disagree on. There, hey, we can agree to disagree, Right. We can agree to disagree. Let me give you an example. My wife and I have this lifelong disagreement. And unless the Lord Jesus enlightens her, um, we're going to stay in that place. (laughs) Here's the disagreement now. So uh, several years back, my wife and I were having a conversation with our kids, and one of our pets died. And my wife said, well, I mean, I think our pets are going to be in heaven. How many of you guys think your pets are going to be in heaven? Maybe you guys think your pets are going to be in heaven. Okay, you're wrong. So we'll just get that out of the way. Uh, but my wife and I have this conversation ongoing about, well, pets are going to be in heaven. Pets aren't going to be in heaven because I don't think they have souls, you know. But my wife, her her kind of stance on this whole situation is that, well, there are animals in heaven and Jesus is riding a horse. Where did they come from? I don't know. But I don't think they're your pet. Uh, they could be. Uh, I know Billy Graham was asked this question one time and he, and he said, listen, I don't know if pets are going to be in heaven or not, but what I know is you're going to have everything you need to be 100% content in heaven. So uh, that's what I do know. Uh, I choose to say no. My wife chooses to say yes. So we're in a full disagreement relating to that. However... It's not dividing our home. You know what I mean? We have agreed to disagree. Even though she's wrong, I have let that slide. Um, I'm kidding. But really, ultimately, that's how we're supposed to navigate through, uh, you know, our disagreements with, with each other. If we can't get on the same page relating to the topic then listen, we still should maintain unity and move forward in Christian unity without allowing that subject to divide us. That is absolutely paramount to the Christian faith, folks, that we would maintain that Christian unity. Jesus died to make us one, not only with the Father, but with each other. Do you know, I I was at a pastor's conference a few weeks ago, and, and the topic was, what is the greatest commandment? You know, Jesus being asked that by the scribe, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he went on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, God cares about us getting along with each other. More so, he cares about us loving each other. More than anything. Like, if you want to be walking in obedience with the Lord, then you need to be walking in love. And last time I checked, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, I know that because I'm doing a wedding today after second service, but uh, it tells us that love is kind. It's not rude. It doesn't boast. That it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We're supposed to be walking in love towards one another. And, you know, oftentimes love prevails. It, love ought to prevail over our opinions about things. We take this seriously, this, this idea of uh, reconciliation when there is a disagreement with brothers and sisters and we and we don't necessarily do it the right way. We take this, this subject of reconciliation seriously. And in fact, we take it so seriously that we painted it on the wall right over here. This is one of the eight core values of our church. These are the eight core values of our church. If you're not familiar with those, you can grab the uh, bookmark in the back seat, back pocket in front of you, and uh, there's some scripture references to those eight things. There, there's also information on our website relating to that, and you can go to the welcome center, and, and in that uh, new, you know, information guide of our church, you'll find all that information there as well. But here's the point: is we painted these things on the wall because they're important, and oftentimes people, they're they're the most what probably disobeyed things in the scriptures. People aren't doing these things. That's why we put them up on the walls to remind people, hey. And one of them happens to be reconciliation. Reconciliation in the body of Christ. Here is the core value statement for this particular subject. It says, and this is us as a body. We commit. This isn't Tim Romero committing personally. This is us individually committing to reconciliation with one another in accordance with the words of Jesus In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and we commit to operating in a spirit of reconciliation towards each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is one of our core values at our church. We want to be people that walk in reconciliation with one another, because guess what? Conflict is going to happen. You're going to... Uh, someone along the way, no matter how kind you are, no matter how, how, how mature you are in the faith, that, that none of that matters, someone along the way is going to offend you. Someone along the way in a hallway, uh, in a conversation, at a Bible study, in a home fellowship, uh, you know, online, at the, in the church private group, is going to offend you. The bigger question is, what do I do now? How do I handle that offense? I am offended that you've said this thing to me. What am I supposed to do with that offense? If you don't deal with it, what will happen is you will start to harbor bitterness, and you'll start to have resentment towards that person, and then what can ultimately happen is the the greatest thing that could happen is you could leave the church over something that you've been offended about over somebody whether it's me or somebody else. You know what the right thing to do is? Talk to that person. The right thing to do is talk to that person. That's biblical. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. God wants to deal with your sin uh, privately. Isn't that wonderful? Like, God's not going around the church gossiping about how, something that you've done that everybody needs to know about in the prayer meeting. Like, he tries to deal with this as privately as possible. And so the Bible tells us that we're to do the same thing. We're, if someone sins against you, if, if they've offended you and it's a matter of sin, then you're to go to that brother and you're to address it. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. God wants us to be reconciled to him. If you're a believer, what that means is you have a break in fellowship with the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It just means that you're not in right relationship with God in that moment. Not eternally, but momentarily here on this earth. That's what John meant by 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and, con- and Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's a restoration of fellowship. That is not salvation. That scripture isn't talking about being made right with God through justification, believing in Jesus Christ. That's talking about your fellowship with God. Read the whole chapter. It's about fellowship with God. I restore my fellowship with God through uh, confession of sin. That's one part of reconciliation. You cannot be reconciled with somebody unless you confess unless you take ownership of your sin and you confess what you've done wrong. The other side of uh, reconciliation then is what? Forgiveness. God is standing ready to forgive us immediately right now. He will, if you go to him and say, God, I failed, I made a mistake, will you forgive me for this specific thing? Do you know what the Lord's going to say? Of course I forgive you. I love you. You know, so, so, but what does that take? What does true reconciliation to the Father require? Confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. Now, when Jesus is telling us, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If you genuinely want to be reconciled, both of those things have to be present. Both of those things have to be present. You can't truly be reconciled with somebody unless they acknowledge their wrongdoing. You can't be reconciled to a person. You can forgive them, uh, as in to not take resonance in your own mind and create bitterness in your own heart for that purpose, but there's no real reconciliation there. He tells us to go and deal with this. He wants us to to confront sin because sin separates us from the Lord. This is Jesus' words to you and I, relating to how we deal with offenses, or particularly when we're sinned against, In the church he says go and deal with it one-on-one if he listens to you you've gained your brother praise the Lord what if he doesn't but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses listen (laughs) most people don't do step number one so step number two is not even in the picture Right? Whoa, who am I? And then, of course, you have the, 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 the people. The world uses this scripture all the time. Matthew chapter 7. Don't judge lest you be judged. Like, does that mean we're not supposed to confront sin? No. That's not what that means. Don't judge lest you be judged to the same standard you're judging. You know you're judged by the word of God already, right? I mean, when you're using the word of God, you're not judging somebody. You're telling them what the word of the Lord says. So we, we're, we're called to call sin out because it, it divides us. If a person won't listen, you're supposed to take two or three witnesses with you. Why? Because there's oftentimes in a conversation like that, a person can't see what they've done. And so you invite two or three others in as witnesses so that they can help determine the reality of that, that accusation. Just like happened with Mark Driscoll, just like happened with James McDonald. They brought other people in, and in fact, third-party people, conciliators, to help judge this matter so that it was a public situation. So we're we're called to, to do that. We're called to bring one or two others alongside of us to help us establish the fact. Now, we don't skip step one and go to step two. We do step one first. How long do we do step one? Until the Holy Spirit tells you to go to step two. It's not a one-and-done kind of thing. I went and talked to them, and they are just, nope. Listen, try and keep it as private as possible for as long as possible. But if it's a matter of a person just totally unwilling to, to accept that, then you bring another person involved to help shine some light in the darkness, folks. I don't know about you, but it's so much easier for me to see the sin in somebody else than in myself. But it's easy also for other people to see it in me. The bigger question is, will I be humble enough to receive it? If someone does say, hey, the way that you're handling this is not right. You know, my my, my prayer in my heart is, yeah, that I would. I would hope that I wouldn't have to get to step two. But if it does, you should probably listen up a little. I'm just saying. Somebody brings one or two other people with you, you should probably consider maybe... Look at your own heart, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Listen, if he refuses, verse 17, to listen to them, tell it to the church. Whoa, are you serious? This is what's called church discipline. Whoa, I don't like that word. (laughs) Hey, listen, God wants to keep order in his church. And last time I checked, he's got a bunch of wayward kids, so we need to keep some maintain some order in the body of Christ. And the way that we do that is through this process. You know, Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's talking about sin. If you don't address sin in the body and it's just freely rampant, then it's just gonna, then it's just gonna breed. So you're supposed to address this stuff. If a person is unwilling to deal with something privately, if they're unwilling to deal with, with it with uh, one or two other people that have come alongside to help bring some clarity to the situation, then you go to the church and the church is supposed to address this. And they're supposed to say, listen, here's, here's what we know. Tell us the story. Because you often know that you paint yourself in the best light and maybe that really wasn't the way it went down. And so we, we get to the bottom of it and we hear the sides and you know, there's three sides to the story, you know that. Their side, their side, and the truth somewhere in the middle there, or at least the perceived understanding of the way that you present yourself. And so you're supposed to do that. But listen to what he says. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Whoa. A Gentile and a tax collector. Do you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Jewish men here in this particular moment. A Gentile and a tax collector, yeah, they're firewood for hell. We'll treat them like that, Lord. That's not what he means. So so what he means is treat them like an unbeliever. That's ultimately what he's saying. How do you treat an unbeliever? How do you treat an unbeliever? You treat an unbeliever uh, not like a believer. Does that make sense? In other words, you don't have fellowship with an unbeliever, right? You can't have fellowship with an unbeliever. What what fellowship can light have with darkness? What fellowship can life have with death? There is no fellowship there. And so your entire purpose in that relationship now becomes gospel-centric. Like your whole point is to help them come to a place of repentance in their own heart. One of my one of my uh, greatest inspirations in the pulpit, Pastor David Guzik, said one time, he had a person that was unwilling to repent of sin, and it had made it through this process of Matthew 18 up until the point where the church had to address it, and the guy refused to address the sin, and he happened to be a friend of David's, and so. Uh, after David had addressed this with him and the guy refused to repent, refused to make it right, he called Pastor Dave up and he said, hey, uh, let's have lunch together. And Pastor David said, no, I can't have lunch with you. Why? Because you're unrepentant. Because you're unwilling. I'm not going to have, you, you want to have fellowship with me, but I can't have fellowship with you because you're an unrepentant believer. Now, uh, that, that sounds harsh in our culture. But I think that it was probably sounding a little easy in the culture that Jesus spoke because they were a total different. They would stone people for stuff like this. So it's all a matter of where you're living and and the the culture that you're living in. It may seem harsh, but listen, the reality is, is that sin separates, folks. Sin separates, not just necessarily you privately between the father, but brother and brother and sister and sister. It separates us. And it's supposed to because it also can breed. And so we have to be careful about the way that we handle these things. This is the process that God tells us to deal with when it comes to a brother sinning against us. How we deal with our uh, conflict with one another. This is how we deal with it. There's a ministry called Peacemaker Ministries. Anybody ever heard of Peacemaker Ministries? Peacemaker Ministries is is a great ministry relating to biblical reconciliation. Uh, the, the guy that started Peacemaker Ministries, his name is Ken Sandy. He, the, he's from Billings, Montana, my hometown. Yeah. And uh, he actually was an attorney who got tired of seeing Christians deal with conflict unbiblically. You know, taking each other to court like the Bible says not to do. These kinds of things. Like he, he, he saw this happening constantly. And he got so frustrated with the unwillingness to yield to the Word of God that he said, I'm going to start a ministry, and I'm going to educate Christians on how we're called to deal with conflict biblically. It's an incredible ministry. If you're not familiar with it, I suggest that you do get familiar with it. But they have a process. They have really this, this grid that you're supposed to run all your conflicts through. They call it the four G's. The four G's glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, gently restore, and go and be reconciled. That's the four G's. The first is glorify God. Here's the question relating to this How can I please and honor God in this situation? Here's a conflict that's happened between a brother or a sister. How can I please and honor God? In this situation how can I bring glory to God whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do for what the glory of God our first focus should be Lord how can I glorify you through this situation how can you use this moment to bring glory to your, to your name through this situation help me to surrender to that idea that I'm called to bring glory to you through this situation. It's possible to bring glory to God through conflict in the way that we manage ourselves in the midst of those conversations. You can bring glory to God, and that should be the goal. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Here's the question. How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contributions to the conflict? Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh. There's a reason why Jesus says, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, get the log out of your own eye. There's a reason for that. You know, the old adage that says it takes two to tango, it really does. And so we ought to look within first before we look outward we ought to look within ourselves like, how am I, what am I doing? What did I do? What did I say? How did I react? What was my attitude relating to these kinds of, this is, this is self-reflection, self, uh, you know, inspection of my heart. Like, Lord, I want to look within and see what, have I done something in this situation? You know, when you do that, it's so much easier to address somebody else. Once you've kind of looked at your own self and said, man, I mean, honestly, I'm not talking about like a glibly like, oh, oh yeah, I I examined my heart. I didn't do anything wrong. Nothing, nothing, not a single thing. Uh, You know, get the log out of your own eye. Look at yourself and how that you've, how have you invested in this conflict? How have you kept it going? And then... You're ready to gently restore. What does that mean? Here's the question. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contributions to this conflict? Gently restore. If, you're, if your whole attitude towards this conflict is I can't wait to shred this person, i.e. that's not Jesus. I can't wait to confront this person in the way that they are so that they'll deal with themselves. That's not Jesus. You know, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 that if you find a brother who stumbled into sin, you who are spiritual, restore that person, listen to this, with a spirit of gentleness. To be gentle with how you restore a person. You know, uh, what I find oftentimes is when I get the log out of my own eye, it's easy to gently restore. Because when I'm looking at myself and looking at how maybe I've contributed to the situation, I think like, okay, this person's not so bad after all. Turns out I had some part to play in this. And so it's easy to do that. It's easy to help uh, somebody else see their situation when you're owning up to your own stuff. And, you know, just in case you're married in this room today, this is crucial. Own up to your own stuff first. And then take care of your spouse's stuff gently. That's how we're called to deal with this kind of stuff. And then, finally, go and be reconciled. You can't be reconciled unless this stuff has happened. You won't be able to do it. Here's the question. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encouragement and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict. Go and be reconciled. Again, that is the goal. The goal is how can we leave this place unified? How can I leave this place uh, in the right relationship with this person? doesn't mean that I'm going to be best friends with them or whatever, but it also means that I'm not going to avoid them in the hallway of the church. Like I'm not going to be like, "Uh uh-oh, there they are you know, I'm signing up for the chili cook-off and I see their name on there and I'm like, oh, they're going to be there. I'm not going, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. You're not going because Pastor Tim's the best chili cooker, cook-off person in the world. But I'm not participating, so you can feel free to come. I'm kidding. But uh, really, I have no idea how I, you know, I guess maybe maybe people, maybe it was rigged. I don't know at this point. I'm still trying to determine this myself. But... um Go and be reconciled. The idea, it's active pursuit of peace. Active pursuit of peace and reconciliation. That's what we're called to, folks. That's the goal. You know, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. You know, he went to great lengths so that we could be reconciled to the Father, Reconciliation is what the Lord is all about, and we are to actively pursue that. The Bible tells us that we're called to be peacemakers. Do all that you can to live at peace with all men. How much more should we do all that we can to live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and maintain Christian unity, folks? If we're called to do that with all men, how much more should we do it inside the body of Christ? that we would do all that we can. Well, I had that one 30-second conversation with that person. I've done all that I can to live at peace with that person. I'll tell you that. Uh, Listen, God has called us to be peacemakers, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when you invite him into a conflict, guess what his focus is? To bring peace. Not at the cost of truth, or anything like that, but God has a way of bringing the truth to the surface and causing reconciliation to happen when we look to Him. Now, it's impossible to do this on your own, period. We need the Holy Spirit to help us navigate through this stuff because you know what happens when we get into a situation like that? Our emotions get involved. And guess what? As much as we already know we're not supposed to walk by our emotions, we walk by our emotions, especially in conflicts, especially when, somebody, when we're not seeing eye-to-eye eye with somebody and that rub is happening. That's when, uh, when the emotions start to go up, and if we start walking in emotions, you can throw the Spirit of God out because what you're going to get is 100% flesh, 100% flesh. We, we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit in the midst of these moments. Listen, I had a conversation with somebody in, a long time ago in my office, and I was ready to blow my stack. I'm talking like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like my head spinning right now. But you know what? I was like, Lord, please help me. And that's really my, that was, all, that was about the only prayer I could pray. And I just zoomed. And I sat there and I said, and I listened to the guy. And we left in a place where I had no resentment for him. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Why do you want to know? But, but ultimately, I can tell you that it was incredibly offensive at first. But I heard what he was saying, and I was like, okay, how can I get on the same page? Because I totally disagree with this. But, but listen to what he says. Just listen for a moment. You know, the Bible verse that says, be quick to speak and slow to listen. That one, no. The one that says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And I start to hear, and the Lord just starts to bring it down. Surrender to the Holy Spirit is crucial to this process. Paul and Barnabas are in a situation where they are at odds with each other. The first thing that we find in our Text here is the, conf- the occasion for conflict. It says, and after some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So where we left off in the storyline, Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch now. They, they remember when they first came back from their first missionary journey, there were some Judaizers there in Antioch. So they went down to Jerusalem because these guys said they were from James and the brothers in Jerusalem. So they went to find out how they're supposed to navigate through Gentiles coming into the fold, into the body of Christ and such. And they left with a letter, remember? And Silas was one of the guys that came. They chose men that were godly to come in, uh, as representatives of the believers in Jerusalem. And they came back to Antioch, and they dealt with the Judaizer things. And then the very last verse, verse 35 of John, uh, Acts chapter 15, it says that uh, Paul and Barnabas went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul was encouraged by what he saw as he was strengthening the churches there. And it says when he got back to Antioch after doing that, he says to Barnabas, dude, let's go check out all the churches that were established in Galatia and and the region that we went through relating to the first missionary journey. Let's go check up on these guys. This shows the heart of Paul. Paul's a pastor at heart. He cares about the spiritual welfare of people. And so, yeah, he's led them to the Lord, not as to notch some some numbers in his belt to say, yeah, I led, uh, you know, 30 30 people to the Lord in Galatia, you know, kind of thing, and then leave them. No, he cares about their spiritual well-being. And so now he's demonstrating that. He's saying, hey, Barnabas, let's go check them out and let's go see what's going on there. And uh, Barnabas is down. He loves that idea because what? He's an encourager. He wants to encourage the, the body of Christ. He wants to um, cause people who are not growing to grow and, and all this kind of stuff. He's the champion of those who are downtrodden. That's who Barnabas is. So you can understand then why there was a conflict going on here. So Paul, this is the occasion for the conflict. Next we find the origin of the conflict in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it not, thought best not to take them, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. So Barnabas, here comes the origin of the conflict. The origin of the conflict is: let's take John Mark with us. It's a person. Let's take John Mark with us. If you recall in Acts chapter 13, John Mark bailed. On Paul and Barnabas as they were going through Galatia. He bailed on them. Uh, We don't know why he did it. Some believe that it was because Paul got malaria in that area and he was afraid. Some think that he was homesick. Others think it was because of the gospel that was being preached to the Gentiles. The reality is we don't know what happened, but what we know is when John Mark departed, Paul considered him a deserter. That's what we do know, and it rubbed Paul the wrong way. Here becomes the origin of the conflict. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark. Paul says, no way. Not a chance that we're bringing this guy with us. And so um, now they've got an issue. When it says here that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, really in the Greek it means that he was incredibly persistent. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. That's the idea. You know that persistence is a great attribute, but it can turn into pushiness real quick. You know, when you have somebody who's persistently trying to get you on the same page as them, it becomes pushy, doesn't it? I, I think Barnabas is saying, listen, because of his character, because of who he is as a person, you know, listen, he's, he's the one that likes to lift people who, up who have, who have failed. John Marcus bailed on him. Yeah, that happened, but hey, let's restore him. Remember what he did for Paul? Remember it was him that brought Paul, uh, you know, into the Jerusalem church, and he said, listen, we want to, w- this guy's a good guy, and we need to hear him. He genuinely came to Christ, and he introduced them to the apostles. They, are, they were able to see the change in his heart. Then Paul was sent to Tarsus for 10 years, and then then when barnabas got sent from jerusalem up to antioch because of the stuff that was going on there in the, the the revival or the awakening that was happening there he went and got paul and said let me bring paul into the picture they've been ministering hardcore together for 4 years now hardcore living together They know each other intimately. They know their weaknesses. They know each other's weaknesses. They know each other's strengths. They know how much coffee each other drank. You know, they know everything about each other at this point because they're living together for four years, going from town to town, sharing the gospel, encouraging the saints and all these kinds of things. They haven't had a problem yet. And I say yet because Christian conflict isn't a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It will happen. You will be offended by somebody at some point. But how you deal with it, that's what matters. Paul said, I I don't think it's good to take him. Why? Because, you know, ministry is difficult in and of itself. It becomes inherently difficult when people start bailing on you in the middle of what you believe God's calling you to do. Well, I don't think that's the Lord. I'm out of here kind of thing. And it becomes discouraging. And Paul, you know, I'm not to say that He was incredibly discouraged, but it obviously did something to him when he left to the fact that he said, I'm not taking this guy with me. So this is the the origin of the conflict, the person of John Mark. Now we find the outcome of the conflict in verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with and sailed away to Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches it was a sharp disagreement in the greek a severe argument based on intense differences of opinion you ever had that kind of conversation with somebody where it becomes an intense difference of opinion Oh yeah, again, that's when the emotions rise. These guys are human beings. The Apostle Paul was a sinner. I know uh, that might be a newsflash to some people. He sinned still. And you know what? He's not completely innocent in this situation, folks, and neither is Barnabas. There arose a sharp disagreement. What should have happened in this moment when we have a sharp disagreement, you know, we don't read it in the text, so we, we don't know, but... But we don't see anything here where it says, hey, let's pray and ask God what he wants. Let's ask the Lord how we should handle this. We don't see any of that. Barnabas is saying, we're taking him. And Paul's saying, no, we're not. Where's the Lord in the midst of this? I think our first go-to in the midst of disagreeing a conflict is, hey, let's ask the Lord. Let's look to the word of God. What does it say about what we're talking about? And if it's about the word of God, then hey. Let's see where we can navigate through it and and come to some understanding together. Let's ask God to help us through this situation. There's no asking God in this situation. That's where we get in trouble with one another. When we determine to handle it on our own, you know what that will yield? A mess. That'll yield a disaster. That'll yield a war zone. We don't need to deal with things on our own. You can't deal with things on your own in, uh, in, and of, you know, in a biblical way. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. You need the wisdom from the Lord. Sharp disagreement. Uh, Barnabas, uh, you know, he, he, he said, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not going with you. Unless John Mark goes. And Paul says, well, guess what? I'm not going with you unless he doesn't go. So there you have it. They're a the stalemate. Listen, this becomes a battle of the wills, doesn't it? This becomes about who can harden their heart the most. This isn't about the Lord at all. Now, consequently, what happens is two missionary teams go out of Antioch of Syria, and that's awesome in and of itself, but not the way it happened. Like if God wanted to do it that way, and He would, and, he, and the Lord would have said, "Hey, Barnabas, you take the, him, and Paul, you take Silas, and you guys go go and encourage." Then praise God. But that's not the way it happened. Do you know the body of Christ is fractured in the same way here, right now, because of a, a lot of doctrinal issues and all these kinds of things? That the body of Christ itself, I think that this this kind of thinking is spread so far that we have all kinds of different movements and all kinds of different beliefs and the 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 what we would call the collective body of Christ is fractured and not unified at all. And in fact it becomes about our movement and their movement and you know our doctrine versus their doctrine and all these kinds of things and that's not the Lord man. That's the enemy. That's what the enemy the enemy tries to create division because he can't work in and of the, the hearts of people who love the Lord in and of themselves, so he'll just create division in amongst them, the body of Christ and keep them divided. Now yeah, we want to fellowship with like-minded people and all this kind of stuff, but uh, I could I could talk about all these issues that, you know, I hear from different people about different doctrinal stances and stuff like that. None of that will keep you out of heaven. And yet we will some people will go to the extent of even saying, "Well, they're not saved." Whoa. Whoa, are you serious? Be careful. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew seven, by the way. You're going to determine whether a person's saved because you don't like their doctrine. Be careful. Be careful. At the end of the day, agreement disagreements are going to happen. You don't have to. Um, you don't have to be on the same page relating to the doctrinal issues, but you, sh- you ought not cause disunity in the body of Christ. We're one small portion of the collective body, guys. There's a whole bunch of other people going to heaven. I know you know that. And uh, it's not just Church of Christ people, by the way. It's us too. You know, collectively, there's a whole bunch of people going to heaven. So keep that in mind when you're in your conversations with people. Can we agree to disagree with folks, and still maintain Christian unity? The answer is yes, we can. In Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. What if Paul and Barnabas would have taken into consideration, like, hey, they're an example to the entire church in Antioch here, and they separate unreconciled. That's not what God called them to do. He called them to be reconciled with one another. What if they would have kept the four G's in mind that it ought to be about the glory of God first and foremost? What if they would have got the log out of their own eye before they took, put, picked the speck out of their brother's eye? What if they would have gently restored in the situation? What if they would have decided to go and be reconciled? How different would this have turned out? Fortunately, we do know that they do reconcile at some point, but not here. And this isn't the way that this should have gone down. Because it wasn't handled right. Well, who's right and who's wrong? They're both right and they're both wrong. I think. I think they're both right and they're both wrong. Should we restore somebody who's failed? Of course. Well, what's the timing of that? It depends on the circumstances. We don't have all the information. But what we know is the way this went down wasn't biblical, man. And what, what, what I think we can learn from this is how we handle stuff like this and how do we navigate through these things. I want to encourage you, if there's something between you and somebody in the body of Christ here in this building, or maybe somebody you left, you're like, oh, I'm so thankful I moved. I don't have to see that person ever again. And the Lord has put that portion on your heart right now. I want to encourage you to go back And be a Matthew 18 obedient follower of Christ. And if you're the offended, then hey, go bring that up to them. If you're the offender, then take responsibility for that. Make it right. Bring unity into the picture. Do all that you can to live at peace with all men. Bring unity in the body of Christ. Jesus died for for you and I to bring us unified to the Father, but also to unify us together. They will know us by the love that we have for one another. Get over your opinions, humble yourself. It's humility is, the, is really the ultimate. If you wanna boil down really to one attribute that we're called to walk in humility, be humble towards each other, be forgiving. I'll leave you with this one scripture. This is Jesus speaking. He takes this stuff so seriously. That he said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What he's saying is that your unwillingness to either confess your sin and take ownership of something that you've done or to get provide forgiveness, to bring reconciliation with somebody hinders your worship of God. There's some, there, there is a hindrance between you and God. He's saying, don't even come to the altar with your gift until you've dealt with this. This is called obedience to Jesus here. And so he's serious about it, man. So we should be serious about it too. If God's knocking on your heart today relating to a conflict that you've had with somebody in the body of Christ, man, and it's divided you, I want to encourage you to make it right as, as much as you can It's not always possible to reconcile because it depends on two people. But you're 100%. You own 100% of your part of that. You own it, and you do your best to live at peace with all men. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.